I'm going to start a little different today. Create some room for God to work. I want to ask you a question, and maybe you can answer that, but I don't really want to hear the answer. I just want you to think about it and come to see me afterwards. But when's the last time you've been brought to your knees? Like, when's the last time my buddy Art made me this because I used to kneel? Until you get older, then you quit kneeling. That's probably why we don't come to our knees as we get older. So I told the guys in the sound booth, if I don't get up, I'm just going to stay here. So at 35, the, it's uh, tough to get older as you get older. <laughs> I didn't say I was 35. I just said 35. Well, ask yourself this. When's the last time you brought down to your knees? And when I think of this question, I ask, the, I ask the question of like, what brings us to our knees? Is it brokenness? You know, is it the loss of someone, the death? Was it a divorce paper? Was it cancer? Was it disease? A lot of times, pain is the great motivator to get us to our knees. And I don't know if you guys listen to Air One, that Christian radio station, but they're talking about this meme that's going all over the country right now. And here's what it says. It says, sometimes God has to break our heart to save our heart or save our soul or get us back to where we're supposed to be. And that sucks. You know, that's a Christian word mean not good. (laughs) From the Greek and Hebrew and English. And it's just not fun. And so if you're broken today, maybe God's doing it to save you and to get you out of self and into the solution, which is God. But listen, I asked a bunch of people this week, just friends, like, what brings you to your knees? And you know what? I had this one friend that's maybe had one of the worst years of her life during the end of 2020 to 2021. And she was just telling me, and she's a good friend. We've known each other for a long time. She's had a lot of loss. And I was thinking that brokenness brought her to her knees, and she says, you know what? Through all the loss that I've had this year, she's like, there's been moments of what we call a God shot or a, or a revelation from heaven that just said that God is good, even in the storm. And when I think of this woman, and I think of the storm, and that you could find goodness in misery, in death, that's pretty amazing because the Bible tells us but we don't always equate to it that God is good my God he's good and the job is for us to respond all the time thank you Mary because even when it doesn't feel good doesn't mean it's not good when's the last time you've been on your knees there's nothing more powerful than to see a man on his knees for the kingdom of God. Have you ever seen a man just broken on his knees, on his face, worshiping God on his knees? So powerful. It's not that men are better than women. I'm not saying anything. You guys are thinking stuff that I'm saying, but don't put words into my mouth. I'm just saying is men, if you're in this room, really struggle to humble up sometimes. And be broken. 
That's not what they said. Put dirt on it. Get, get beyond it. And it's not women too. Women do the same thing. But I just want you to think about that. That getting on our knees is super critical. And today we're going to use this position to kind of help us understand what God is doing. We've been going through this sermon the uh, sermon series the last few weeks and we're going through the book of Ephesians now if you're new to Christ there's two parts of the Bible there's an Old Testament that's the long part and there's some pretty good if you're not sleeping at three in the morning there's some good books in the beginning part that you'll love because they'll get you to sleep pretty quickly but then there's this good news that comes about three quarters of the way in the Bible. It's called the New Testament. After all these things that have happened, history, prophetic words, then there comes this New Testament. And Ephesians is even beyond that. It's almost seven-eighths or six-eighths into the Bible. And so we've been going through this. And what we're trying to do is get you connected to God. We sang that song, there's going to be no one other than him in your life. And when you get connected with God, then all these things in our life start to work out. And then I have to claim in my identity, in my soul, who God really is. So we're talking about God, identity, and everything in between. And I hope that makes sense to you as we go through this. God, identity, and everything in between. We are trying to identify with God about where we're at in life. And the Apostle Paul writes this book to equip you and I. We call, he calls them saints or calls us saints in the Bible. Now, we're midway through this letter. Like I said, it's, very, it's, it's closer to the end of the Bible than it is at the beginning. So if you need help finding it, let me know and I'll point it to you. We're midway through this letter, chapter 3. Jeremy started it last week, and now we're going to finish chapter 3. And Paul is transitioning from what we call theological truths. Not things that somebody said on the stage. I'm talking about theological truths from heaven above that Paul has received from the Spirit of God, and he's giving that. And so as we go from truths, the second part of what we do with truths is we are to apply them in our life. And when we have application in our life, we have the opportunity to see the multiplication of God go forth and in us and through us. So here he's switching from truths to application and really the biggest struggle in Christianity today is learning how to apply what God is saying in the Bible. Here's some of those truths of chapter one. We are adopted in Christ. If you are lost and lonely and don't have any family, to fear not, we have, a, we have a father in heaven that will adopt you and bring you and you will become an heir. You're adopted in Christ and in chapter one he says you are raised in Christ to a place that only God can take you. You're a stranger if you aren't a Jewish person and part of the chosen people. You are a stranger to God but fear not he will make you right and he will bring you into that threshold so that you can be one uh, and God brings us to God through Jesus Christ and in Christ we are one we talked about that a couple weeks ago and the last part is Jeremy uh, before Jeremy's message we talked about Christ is peace not does Christ doesn't bring me peace Christ is peace so if you don't have peace right now, if you say Jesus Christ in your head for the next hour or three, I promise you, you'll find peace. Because Christ is peace. And so you've got to train your mind that Christ is peace. And then at the very end, Jeremy said this, and I don't know if you guys got this application, but it's been rattling in my head all week. You have to know grace to show grace. And that's the application. And today we're going to have even more application. And it's going to talk to us about being on our knees. The Apostle Paul is praying 
So he's writing a letter. So think about writing a text to your best friend or someone that you're talking to. And in the middle of that, you just start a prayer. You ever do that? Where you're just like, oh man, I'm, I, I love you. I know this is a tough time. I know you're going through it. But let me pray. And in the middle of this letter, he just drops to his knees. And he prays. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Let's read it and see what it says. I love this. It says, and this is a prayer of spiritual growth. So I don't know where you're at right now. I know you're at church, so you're seeking something. There's an opportunity to grow in the kingdom of God. Here's what it says. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees. I was going to try and fall, but you don't want to see that. I have to push the button on my keychain as I fall and I can't get up. So when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. Father, we love you. And I ask that these words are not my words, but they are your words. I pray that you kind of lay the foundation for a spiritual revelation for all of us today. Use me as a vessel of your kingdom. Make me an instrument so that I can provide the holiness that this church needs online, outside, and indoors. Lord, use these words for your kingdom. And there's someone here that is desperate. And Lord, I ask that you match that desperation with restoration and reconciliation. We love you, Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Got up. So here's what's happening. Paul is in this place of a prayer. He's writing a text or a letter like we would today, and he's praying, and he says this, and what he's trying to get through, uh, do we have any thick skulls in this room? Thanks, Mom. Appreciate that. She raised her hand. I didn't say anything. She raised her hand. If we have, a, what happens is a lot of times we, we, we struggle with knowledge and understanding of what God is doing. And here's what he's trying to do is he's trying to connect us to the Father's heart. There's a, there's a Father in heaven and he has a heart. And our job is to know what his heart is happening. So when we experience God, when we know God, our job is to connect. And when we know the Father's heart, we know God's will and we know God's plan. God has a plan and a will for me and he has a plan and will for you and it might be different. But it doesn't mean that it's not actually good and it's not God's plan working together. And that's what we see here. So here's how we're to pray. When we pray... Our job is to have his will and his heart and his plan and his purpose in the forefront. So then when I get on my knees and pray, I'm not like, God, Lord, can that helicopter come that I've been like thinking about on Amazon or that Lambo? It's not really his will. It's my wants. I don't even know how to fly, so I don't know if I can get the helicopter off the pad. But when I pray, God, I'm lost and I need direction. Father, I need wisdom. Father, I need peace. Father, I'm broken and I don't see you anymore. I don't feel you. When you have the Father's plan in his heart, you have an opportunity to experience him in a very powerful way. It's because you're thinking about him and not think about yourself. And praising God and celebrating God and wanting God. Paul's passion, passionate prayer here is that believers, immature, any immature people in here? This guy... Mature, well, people will mature and grow in their faith with God and for God. In their faith and in their strength so that they have strength from God and ultimately that they will find peace in Jesus Christ. 
Too often we don't find peace in Christ because we're like, well, just read the Bible and pray about it, and that's peace. That's not peace. Peace is knowing Christ and inviting him into your most painful situations. So I, 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 I had Jeremy make this slide for me. How, how do Christians fight? How do Christians protest? How do, if you're not happy with this world today, how do we do that? We've got people telling us one way, and I'm not trying to say that they're wrong, but listen, there's something going on in Ukraine, and this picture's been going down. This is how Christians fight their battle. This is how Christians protest. This is how we do it. This is not what's being taught, but this is how we do it. We get in the middle of war and we say, God, whatever your will is and whatever your plan, I'm going to get my butt into the snow and I'm going to pray because I believe that you are all powerful. And so if you're losing your battles today and you don't feel like the country or the world or your family or your work is not right, we have to pray. And there's not, there's other things. God will then activate you to do other things and, you know, become the governor or become president. I don't care. But we start with prayer. And that lays the foundation. And when we pray, we put God's heart and his will and his purpose. And I'm not saying whatever else is wrong. I'm just saying this is how we start. And in my head, there's this song, this is how I fight my battles. It just keeps going. This is how we fight our battles. We have to be in this position. And what happens is, I don't want to get on my knees. I don't want to do this. I want to fight other ways. And this is how it begins. And so hopefully you'll see that. Because here's what God wants to do. God is trying to revitalize the church. He's trying to get the church together so that we can be the element of healing in this world that will bring a wave of love that will transform and bring revival and one day we will see Christ come down and there will be billions of people celebrating that day because we've been saved from this world. Now, you guys know this. We say this a lot in this church. When things are repeated in the Bible, what does that mean? It's important. Let me show you how important being on your knees is. Solomon, at the time of dedication, dedicating the temple, prays 1 Kings chapter 8. He's on his knees, and he prays for a long time on his knees. Ezra, at the point where they find the Holy Scripture, and they've been lost, and they've kind of wandered, and Babylon's taken over. Ezra prays, and he lets the glory of God, and he's on his knee. The psalmist in Psalm 95 says, get on your knees and get into this place of submission to God. Daniel chapter 6 on his knees when people came before Jesus they came kneeling uh, Matthew chapter 17 Matthew chapter 20 David chapter 1 there's all these people that are on their knees wanting to experience God to the fullest Stephen right at he's dying he falls to his knees and he starts praying and then everybody stones him and he dies in the Bible he's on his knees as he's getting ready to meet his savior Peter on his knees praying in Acts. Paul on his knees praying in Acts. Church, Acts 21.5 like the Ukraines. They're just following the Bible. Acts chapter 21 verse 5. Don't believe me. Look it up. On their knees. And then what does Jesus do? He makes it all right. Because if Jesus does it, I should do it. Jesus goes to the garden and he says, Lord, Take this cup of suffering away from me. The loss of a brother, son. The divorce, the death, the struggle, the cancer, the addiction. Take this suffering away. If Jesus can do it, so can I. 
Getting on our knees is a place of humility. It's a place, a position of humbleness that I am not God. The first thing I learned in my recovery was I'm not God. And that was a tough thing to swallow because I think I make the world go round. But my selfish and self-centeredness needs to get my butt on my knees and experience God for who he truly is. Paul knows that the human strength is no match for the challenge that we face in this world. Do you realize that? What you bring to the table on your own is no match. Only God can match that. And so he calls us to go on to our knees and cry out to God and ask him to empower us, to strengthen us so that we can grow and live out the kingdom of God in our faith in our life. And in verse 15, really small verse, all he says is, as we pray to the Father, the creator of heaven and earth, he praises him. And here's what happens, and this is a pretty amazing truth. We pray to the Father, why? We pray to God the Father, or we pray to God, who is presented as the planner in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He's the actual planner, the orchestrator, the designer, the, the principal, and we are his agents, right? He is the planner, God the Father, and we pray through Jesus Christ because he connects him, and we are empowered and directed by this spiritual thing. You know, we're, we all talk about spirituality today. Well, that spirituality, if it's not God, it's leading you somewhere else. There's one spirit, it's called the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit brings us into that holy moment. And that's what guides us in this place. And that's what we see. Here's what verse 16 says. He says, I pray. So now he continues to pray from his glorious unlimited resources. Everybody say unlimited. unlimited. Let me hear it outside. Let's say unlimited. <laughs> so good. I love that. If you're online, shout it in the coffee shop and scare everybody unlimited resources and he will empower you with inner strength through the spirit i love this part he's again praying he's on his knees and he's saying lord these people need help their inner strength is weak they need help and what he's saying is when i humbly get on my knees and i pray to god i'm releasing my grasp to this world and i'm letting god in so that i can experience god to the fullest when I'm in this position, I'm releasing myself and I'm saying, Lord, strengthen me inside so that I can go through this world and experience the kingdom of God. I love this part. And what do we do? How do we get that? We gain unlimited resources and access to God by Jesus Christ. He went to the cross so that you and I can have that unlimited access and we can experience this limitless, eternal relationship and we can go to all the resources that he has i don't know if you guys are getting this so let me give you some examples so it's saturday and you haven't eaten much all day your little bagel and coffee and you're just famished and you're like i need to eat where am i going to go to fill this belly golden corral <laughs> unlimited buffet I mean, you can have breakfast, you can have lunch, roast beef and ribs, and all the dessert your mind can imagine. That's what we're talking about. And about an hour and a half into it, they're giving you three checks. They're like, can you leave, please? I don't know if you guys are getting it. Let me give you an example. Back in 1995, me and my roommate in college had a cell phone. Now, if you're not very old, like under 35, you're not going to remember this. But it was $100 for 100 minutes a month. So it's like, hi, this is Jeff. I'll be there in a second. One dollar. 
Now, I know you guys don't have it. Most people didn't have a phone. But by the turn of the millennial, it was 300 for 50 bucks and 1,000 minutes. Whoa, the Shekinah glory, 100 bucks. And now, talk, text, and data unlimited. Nobody cares. Before 2008, we used to pay for text. Anybody remember that? You got, my, my kids were texting as like one daughter had 1,400 texts. I'm like, I'd pay 50 cents for each one of those. Come on. But now, kids don't even realize. Unlimited talk, text, and data? Come on. I don't know if you guys are getting this. I don't know if you guys know how much money the government pulls in every year. It's two and a half to three trillion. Everybody say trillion with a T. Trillion. And so the government gets a lot of money and they believe it's unlimited. And so they spend it and they write checks. And it's both sides. Don't act like both sides don't spend. One just has another priority of spending on one side. The other has other priority. But they spend and that's your money. And they believe it's unlimited so they spend. I don't know about you, but in my house I have a budget. And when I spend over my budget, the bank says, uh, 34 bucks, 20 times because you keep spending. Not our government. It's unlimited. Are you guys getting this? It's unlimited resources. And here's what happens. We have unlimited, unrestricted resources. And most of us live in this little God box and go, well, this is my God. And this is all I have. And I don't open it, but I got him. And so because of that, it's limited. And that's what Paul's saying. I'm on my knees praying for you to grow and live in the power and authority for Jesus Christ. I was just talking to one of my dear friends before service. God is like a muscle. God is like a muscle. Faith is like a muscle. And when you work it out and you use it on the regular basis, it gets yoked like this. You guys seen a yoke person before? I know it's not up here, but there are some people here. But if you don't use your muscle, we call this atrophy, right? And this is what happens. Uh, my sister broke her ankle and her, now her leg is really weak because she can't walk on it. And so she used to get 15,000 steps or 12,000 and now if she can get to 3,000, that's a lot because of atrophy. And here's what happens. Atrophy means gradually declining in effectiveness due to an unuse or neglect. A lot of us know God, believe in a God, but we put him in the back burner. We duct tape him in the trunk. We put him in the back seat. Or he's my co-passenger. No, he needs to be your driver. And here's what happens. Many of us don't do that. And because of that, we have an atrophy relationship with God. Neglected, unused, not in this full use of, of, of who he is. We must work out our relationship with God each and every day. You know... It's February, so nobody's doing this. But in January 2nd, cardio and toning, and I'm going to be at the gym. There's no room. Now we're in February. That was over. That's been over for weeks now. Trust me, I quit. I'm done. Did I tried it. Since 16th the year in a row, and uh, by February, I'm done. Here's the idea, though, that we need to do the same things that we do. We need to build our muscle. How do we do them? They're the same old suspects that we see in the Bible. We need to read the Bible. We need to read. Just ask God, you know, only a minute or two. Read some text. Read. Second thing is you need to pray. The next thing you need to do to strengthen your muscles is study. Study the Bible. Just kind of, I'm going through something. What does God's love mean? And just study and dwell, you know, dwell on it and look at it. I was doing that this morning. Uh, one of my friends last night was talking about something, and I just kind of looked it up, and I just studied it so I understood. 
So we study. The other things that we do is we teach. When you're in a place of teaching, you grow. You know who grows the most every Sunday? Me. Because most of my message is terrible, and so I cut it, but most of it sinks in that God wants to do, and so I grow a lot. That's the beauty of teaching or sharing, being of service, being available. And you do that every day and your muscle starts to grow. Let me give you some, some things from the government. Here's what it says. Physical activity guidelines for Americans, right? Here's what it says. Recommended activity every week, two and a half hours. That's 30 minutes, five days a week, 21 minutes, seven days a week. That's the recommended activity. That's to keep your body in shape and toned and keep you out of the doctor's office and keep you living to, I went to the doctor and he said, he wants me to live to 120. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, bro. How my knees feel today? I don't wanna be on here for 120 years. But the idea here is that we need to put the work in. I must commit to this God muscle so that I can strengthen my inner self so that when the storm comes, I have the ability to rise through it. One more thing, I gotta move on. A professional athlete will rip his knee or hurt his knee or have a tendon out. And he's got huge thighs or muscles. And what happens is because his muscles are so strong, he can come back in three to six weeks. Someone like me, six months. Because I don't have, I'm not physically training that area and it's not strong enough. It's the same with God. If you're not prepared for the storm, when the storm comes, it's going to level you. Because you have atrophy. Our job, Paul is praying this. Get rid of the atrophy. Here's what it says in verse 7. Then, so here's application. He's saying, then, once you have it and you're working on this God muscle, he says, then, you will, he, then Christ will make home in your heart as you, What? trust most of the reason why God doesn't work and we have a weak God muscles because we don't trust in God we sometimes trust the human sometimes we trust ourselves more than anybody but most of us lack trust but as we trust in him and you got a good God muscle he makes home at your heart that's really a cool part he says and then your roots will grow down into God's love because that's what we're to grow into and that love will keep you strong. Rooted people will grow deep and tall. I love these pictures where you got these root systems and those roots just go into the ground. I got a tree in front of my house and there's a guy named John. He's an arbalist and he's actually in Washington coming back to Camarillo. And I said, come look at this tree because the tree in front of my house is gigantic. And there's a lot of winds and he goes, the only way to make sure your tree doesn't is make sure you soak the ground and get things 10 or 15 feet in the ground so that the roots are going down. Because if they go on the horizontal, it's not strong enough and it's gonna blow over. And that's what Christ is saying. I need to be rooted in Christ's love. And the, the Father has a heart. And our job is our heart grows into his heart. I need to know what his love looks like. If I don't know his love, I'm sure not gonna be able to love you. And some of you, it's tough to love. And, and usually people laugh, but it's really true. And it's not because you're bad people. It's just I'm a different person. And I have my own opinions and thoughts. And so it's like, well, all right, we're going to do this. My heart needs to grow towards the Father's heart so that I don't have atrophy. And my job is to make sure that doesn't happen. And that brings us to verse 18. And then he says in his prayer, may you have the power to understand what he is doing. May you have the power to understand as God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Listen, here's what happens. Most of us come to this scripture 
and we don't even bring out the measuring tape. Even though it says we don't understand it, we bring out this measuring tape. We don't even try it. We're like, well, I don't understand it. I don't know what's going to happen. And so what happens is because his love is so deep, wide, high, and stuff, we don't even try and measure it. We have all these tools in our life to do this, but we don't even try and measure it, even though there's tons of tools. Oh, that's 79 feet. But what happens is, because God is so big and so amazing and so powerful that we don't even try and use any of these things to measure God, and we just give up. Well, he's big. He's a big God. And what we do is we come to a place of impasse. He's too big, so why even try? That makes no sense. But we do. And that's where people quit. They say it in recovery, you quit before the miracle happens. You don't realize how powerful God is. And so instead of trying to see how much it is, we just give up. He's big. He'll meet me where he's supposed to meet me. Instead, I've got all these tools and I've got all these resources and I choose not to go to that place. The Bible talks about this. There's this point in Job. I just finished reading Job a couple weeks ago. And it's a story, a crazy story in the Bible about this guy who loses everything. And then one of his friends comes up, Zophar, I think, and he basically says to Job, he's like, do you not realize how big God is? He says, can you find out the limits of the Almighty and how high he is in heaven? He's questioning because he doesn't even know. And that, that we need to realize that even the prophets in the Old Testament... And the apostles in the New Testament realized and struggled with God and trying to understand what God is saying. On high school group, on Wednesdays, we have this high school group called Fireside, and we were going through uh, John chapter 6, and there came a point where some of the apostles were just saying, the teaching's just too hard, we don't get it. And so it's too hard, so we don't try, right? We just don't get out our tape measure and go, well, it's unlimited, but let me at least try. We just kind of put the tape back there and go, nah. It's too big for me. And you kind of put your tail between your legs and you're like, well, God's not for me then because I didn't try because I'm weak and I have atrophy in my life. That's what happens to us many times in our life. Isaiah says this place and it's a place of comfort. Listen, it's a place of comfort. It's a military command from Isaiah to comfort the nation of Israel. Isaiah 40 says this, 40, 28, it says, do you not know, have you not heard that the Lord is everlasting? He's like, don't you know how big and how wide and how tall and how deep God is? I don't know if you guys are getting this, so let me dig into it a little bit more. Jesus' love has width. And the widest thing I've ever seen in this world is the ocean. You ever been to a point where you look out? I've been on Catalina Harbor. My parents used to take us there. And there's, there's this called, place called Twin Harbor. It's on the Isthmus. And when you go on the other side, first of all, it's got awesome waves that most people don't know about. You get on the other side of Catalina and you look. And if you've never been there, you can't see anything. I've flown to China. I've been to Japan. I've been into N Nepal. It's a 16 hour, but there's a lot of ocean there. It's the widest thing I've ever seen. If you look at a picture of the world, did you realize most of the world is ocean? Because it's the widest thing in the universe or in our, in our, in our world. It's the widest thing. And so here's what God says to show you how big and wide his love is. He says, God so loved this world that he gave his only son. And he's trying to show you, look how wide my love is. It stretches over the whole world that you live on. That's how deep. I mean, that's how wide his love is for you. It's an ocean of love that kind of goes endlessly. It's amazing. Let me help you with the next one. 
Jesus' love has lengths. When you consider the length of God's love, here's what you need to do is ask yourself this. How long has God loved you? When's the last time you've asked that? You're struggling today? Just ask, God, how long have you loved me? And the Bible will tell you, well, I, I loved you in the womb when you were first formed. And then they ask the second question, well, how long will you love me? And the Bible says, Jeremiah 31, 3, it says this. Yes, I love you with an everlasting love. My love doesn't end, God says. So I loved you at inception. I loved you at creation of that child. And I love you all the way to the end. When you understand that, you understand how long God's love is. That's a long time. You understand the truth of his length of love. The third thing is his depth. What is the depth of love? I mean, how does it deep? Where do those roots grow? How deep is it? Listen, only thing that I can do, my buddy Randy always told me, let scripture talk and tell scripture. So here's what it says. In Philippians chapter two, it's another book a little bit beyond Ephesians. It says this, and this is the depth of his love. It says, Jesus made himself with no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, a slave, coming in the likeness of man, being found as the appearance of a man, it says, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, death on the cross. The lowest level of death ever created was the death on the cross, crucifixion. His love goes to the cross and the depths of the cross. And now it's a symbol. People hang it on the neck. It's like walking around 2,000 years ago with the electric chair going, yeah, I believe in the electric chair. It's my salvation. His love is deep. And we wear that cross to remind us how deep his love is. Isn't that powerful? You can't go any lower. Well, here's the last one. How high is your love? How high is it? How high does his love go? The only way, again, is you ask God, how high can I go? How high can I go with God's love? And here's what it says. It says, when I ask the height, I realize that he can lift me out of my mud and mire, out of my grave, and into a new place. But not only that, he lifts me above this atmosphere, above our universe, into a heavenly realm. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 tells us that he seats us next to Christ in the heavenly realms. Who else can bring you to that level? No one. And so when he talks about how wide and how deep and how long and how, how, how high his love is, he has a lot of depth. Let me help you understand this a little bit more. We come to the, how do we understand this? Look at the cross and the dimensions of the cross. It goes in every direction. And each direction has a point. God's love is so wide to include every person on earth. No matter what they believe, no matter what their struggle is, no matter their political affiliation, his love is uh, wide enough to include every person. His love is long enough to last through all eternity. His love is deep enough to reach the worst sinner in the world. That's me. And here's the last one. It's high enough to take us to a heavenly place that only God can. It's powerful. So here's what's happening. A lot of us need to stop searching for God. And I know this is a semantic thing. Jeremy's the professor of the group and he's got this semantics. Stop searching and start sinking. When you start thinking about searching, it feels like when search and rescue comes out, somebody's lost. But when I'm seeking, I'm gonna go hang out with my friend. I know where to go. I need to make a right. I need to make a left. I need to go over the hill and I'm gonna be there because I know where I'm going. We've gotta stop searching for God. He's here and we've gotta start seeking him every day to grow our God muscle. Why? Here's more application, verse 19. It says, 
May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. We realize this. What I'm challenging you to do with all these measuring tapes and getting on my knees, I understand it's big. And it's something that I'm still navigating. It's not like I have it all together. And some of you know me, if not all of you know me, and know that I'm just a knucklehead trying to figure this out as well. But listen, he says, May, it, it's too great. And then it says, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes through God. Maybe your Bible says a love that surpasses all knowledge. If you're feeling broken today, if you're feeling lost, if you have no trust in your, in your heart and soul, Christ brings us to a place of love that surpasses our knowledge and understanding. And I didn't know that. I needed to hear that. And I need to hear it regularly so that my God muscle can withstand whatever comes my way. Because it's going to come. I'm going to the, I'm gonna get to the other side of the island or the other side of the struggle and then guess what's going to happen? Another one comes. It's just how life is. I don't know why. It's, uh, it's the second thing on my list to talk to God. I don't know if you really know what you're doing, buddy. Of course, he laughs just like you do because I'm ridiculous. There's a guy named Adam Clark, great theologian from the 1800s, and he writes this about this verse. This is really cool. He says, among all the greatest sayings in this prayer, this is the greatest. Listen, to be filled with God is a great thing. Man, to be filled with God, what a great thing, he says. He says, to be filled with the fullness of God is still greater, but to be filled with all the fullness of God is utterly bewilders the sense and confounds the understanding. When I'm filled with all of what God is, it's mind-boggling. I'm going to make you sit on that for a second. To be filled with God's great, but there's something better. The text says all. What does all mean? All. The Greek and the Hebrew and the English, it means all. But we don't believe that. We believe in some or not today. Ephesians chapter 1, we've already did this. Again, the scripture's just telling us what's being said. And the church is his body. Who's the church? We are. You and me. Those outside, those online, those up the hill, those down in Santa Barbara, those in Israel, those in Uganda, those in Russia, those in Ukraine, those on the East Coast, those on the West Coast that claim Jesus Christ is the church. And it says, and the church is his body and it's made full and complete by Christ who fills everything everywhere with himself. Christ fills us. It's not me. It's not my Bible. It's not my relationship with God. It's Christ. And we as the church need to point ourselves to Christ so that we can get that revitalization or we can get that life back so that we can go out and live the glory of God so that everyone in this world can see you're a believer, aren't you? You're different. You're different. You live a different life, and that difference should draw people back. It says the kindness leads to repentance. And then it closes with a glorious doxology. And a doxology is a, a liturgical prayer or rhythm. And it just kind of brings us to a close today. And here's what it says. Uh, and this is, is this really good. 
And here's what it says. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work with us to accomplish infinitely more. Everybody say infinitely more. To accomplish infinitely more. Now listen, I am a selfish, self-centered, I was going to say pig, but I don't want to say that, individual that I want constant more, 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 more. I want to play better golf. I want to have more money in my checking account. I want to have a bigger house, even though my house is awesome. I want, want more, 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 more. And God says, I can accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen, amen, amen. In the middle of his text, in the middle of his writing, he's trying to challenge us. Listen, I'm going to drop to my knees and I'm going to pray for you because you guys, me included, we need to grow mature, uh, more mature inner, in our inner selves, build that God muscle so we can experience and have infinitely more. So Paul comes to this great height as we close the message today. Just give me a few more minutes. He comes to this great height. And what can be any higher than all the fullness of God? That's the crescendo. It's as good as it gets. All the fullness of God. Everybody say all the fullness of God. Outside, let's hear it. All the fullness of God. If you're online, shout it in the Starbucks and scare your neighbor right now all the fullness of God. He comes and it says, then isn't it reasonable to ask, well, how do we get there? How do we do this? Isn't it reasonable to ask, how can something so far above us get us to the place that we want to go? It can only happen because God is able to do far beyond what we can ask and think. If you're trying to do it on your own, you're never going to get there. I do it all the time. I'm never going to get there. But the Bible says that what we ask and we seek God can do infinitely more. Paul says that God is able to do anything beyond what we ask or think. I don't know about you. I talk a lot. Some of you are like, yeah, wrap this up. I talk a lot, but I also think a lot. I got big dreams. I don't know about you guys. I got huge dreams. Ask my kids, ask my wife. I got huge dreams. But it says God can do infinitely more. Let me help you understand what he's saying. Paul and the apostles knew how powerful and how amazing Jesus was. They had seen things that only God could do. Mind-blowing, which is like this. An addict using drugs a six months or a year later is clean and sober and has got life and blood and the brain's working. There's infinitely more that can happen when we watch an addict or an alcoholic get sober. It's amazing. It's powerful and only God can do that. I don't know if you've ever seen that happen, but it's happening and will happen and continues to happen. And here's what it says. I'm just kind of helping you understand, bringing you some application. It says, you can ask for every good thing this world has to offer. You can ask for every good thing, but realize this, God can do infinitely more. You can ask for anything, but God can go beyond what your dreams are. When I came to Camarillo, I had dreams of living in Spanish Hills. It was just being built, and I wanted a Hummer. Nobody wants that anymore, but that was really cool when I was in the 2000s, right? God's laughing, dude, you do not want that. Nobody's going to like that in a few years because God can do infinitely more. 
When you realize things beyond your wildest dreams, and I got big dreams, and I know some of you do too, God can do infinitely more beyond your dreams because he makes your dreams his dreams, and his dreams are far better for you. Here's the last one. You can search for things beyond your ability. Do you come to a point when your just ability is not there? Listen, God can take you beyond what your abilities do because God can fill you up and grow you and make you that human being you're supposed to be. Infinitely more. So let me ask you this. What's the significance of the knees? Why do we drop to our knees? We do it because it's a humble posture or position before God. About 19 years ago, I was told in a non-church group that every morning I got to get on my knees and I ask God to guide me. Take my will and my life. Show me how to live. And then regardless of what happened to the day, if I got a flat tire, I got bounce in my checking accounts, what I did a lot, I was to thank God on my knees. And this posture, God has brought me infinitely more than what I could ever imagine. A broken man with a prison record, getting on his knees, trying to dig himself out of a hole that he's created himself. God has taken me infinitely more. And right now, he can take you. Because if he can do it for me, I know he can do it with you. So as I fall to my knees, I have that same prayer that Paul did. May you grow spiritually today. May your love for God grow in ways that only God can with no bounds, no limitations. And may you seek him and watch him do infinitely more than you could ever ask. Let's pray, Father. Father, we come to you today broken, grateful, lost, lonely, bankrupt, mind, body, and soul. Lord, we ask that you meet us right now. That you wash us clean, you adopt us and make us whole. So that we can live in your kingdom. I pray today many will come to know you. Many will come to bow down before you and take that posture of you above all things. If there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus Christ or needs to recommit, all you have to do is say with your mouth that you believe and believe it in your heart. A simple prayer, and it goes like this. Father, forgive me for what I've done. Come into my heart and soul because your love went to the cross for me and died. And Lord, resurrect us through your eternal glory because you rose again on that third day. And Lord, I just ask that the Holy Spirit takes us right now into a place that will be mature and holy and honoring you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Let's worship Jesus Christ.